Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, everyone. Hope you guys are all doing great out there. That's time for another episode of the Full Stack Journey podcast. We're back after a short hiatus and back now as part of the Packet Pushers Network, so we're super excited about that. And I'm also super excited about the guests that I have joining me today. For those of you that haven't listened to the podcast before, the idea here is that we are talking to folks who have um, sort of been evolving on their career journey. They've been taking a journey, perhaps more towards that idea of a full stack engineer, somebody who works across and among and between multiple layers and silos in the data center. What we do is we bring along guests who are sharing their own personal experience. They're sharing the lessons they've learned and providing real, practical, actionable advice and information for you, the listeners, to help you along with your journey as well. So joining me today on the podcast is Anthony Burke. Anthony, why don't you take a second and introduce yourself? Hey, thanks, Scott. Yeah, I'm Anthony Burke. Uh, I'm a solution architect at VMware, and I've been <laughs> tapped on the shoulder by yourself to come talk to you today about my what I call the unexpected journey uh, from a network person to someone who touches more than just networks now, and uh, I've got a bit of automation chops along the way. So I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Hey, I love that Tolkien reference there, the unexpected journey. That's a, that's a nice tie-in with the podcast. Good job. Yeah, yeah big Tolkien fan here. Oh, hey, no, no worries. Uh, same here, same here. So, Anthony, you, you shared a little bit about kind of your background. You were the so-called, you know, quote-unquote traditional network engineer focusing on network infrastructure, network engineering, network design. Is that right? Yeah, so I started off as in desktop administration. So I think it was 2000. I'm a bit young to IT, so this will give away my age, I think. But in 2010, I started as desktop administrator at some local schools in the area, which involved me configuring Active Directory and you know, all those sort of things for school users. So fighting off all the kids who thought they were script kiddies and you know all those sort of fun things, which got me interested in the networking side of things, how the whole school hung together. And from there, I jumped into a role at Triple Zero, which is analogous to 911. So in Australia, we have statewide emergency networks, so a bit larger than the counties in America. And that got me into mission critical firewalling security uh, environments that actually had to have five nines uptime because if the network was down, well, you can actually say people died because they couldn't call triple zero. And then I moved from there into a, and that, well, that's actually where I got most of my uh, networking skills from and probably my overarching sense of caution when doing things. And then I moved to VMware as a pre-sales engineer for NSX, loved the technology, like with the idea of software and automation. And then after doing the pre-sales gig for a bit, I moved into the engineering team as one of the solution architects with the network security business unit inside VMware. So in about seven years, I've gone from desktop admin to architecture and engineering, which has been a pretty whirlwind journey and a very rewarding one thus far. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate the uh, background. And um, I know that um, since I, I met you, I think uh, probably what, two or three years ago, I think, uh, maybe at one of the one of the Australia VMUGs that came down and we first met. Exactly right. You know, I've been following your website, which I think used to be ciscoinferno.net, and then you moved it to networkinferno.net. Is that right? Yes, and that was uh, under advice after a text with a mutual friend, uh, Greg Ferro. He's like, you should probably be vendor agnostic, given that you talk about more than just Cisco. And my play on words was, you know, Disco Inferno, burn, baby, burn. And it was oh, Cisco yeah. Inferno. That was the sort of play on words initially. And then... Yeah, I thought Network Inferno was a bit more uh, sort of generic, but yeah, and I tell you what, it's a bit of a side joke, but that was the most daunting thing moving domain names, and it was a, it was something that wasn't in my skill set, and I had to make sure my blog posts stayed together 
But it was, uh, yeah, it was worth it in the end. I think, yeah, it's built up a bit of an interesting brand. Yeah. And it's been very rewarding since changing from network-only skills. Right, right. And then I think that's really kind of what, what would be really useful for us to, to focus on is how the, the networking industry is really, really changing. By the way, just as a, as a quick aside, I totally get the whole blog migration thing, having to maintain sites and links and all of that since I went through that WordPress to GitHub migration back at the end of 2015. Or was it the end of 2014? Anyway, it was recently and it was a lot of work. So I totally understand that. Aside from that, let's talk a little about networking and networking professionals. There's, there's a lot of, you know, talk, a lot of the whatever from the experts and the analysts and yada, yada, yada about, you know, networking professionals need to evolve. They need to change. One of the common phrases that you hear is, you know, networking professionals have to learn how to code. I'm just curious as somebody who's kind of moved from this traditional network engineer into somebody with a broader skill set, especially on the automation side of the house, What's your perspective on that? I mean, what what do you think? So I'll preface this saying this is my point of view, and I think this is something that brings out the pitchforks in many people, and uh, it's a very personal thing. I look back to the time at Triple Zero, and I look back to the dozens of ASAs that I, or Cisco firewalls that I managed, and to make a single change, and we know the story of you, know, you have to validate the traffic flow between the plumbing and okay this is where i need to do my number of changes this is where i need to look at my environment and actually perform the changes on four or five devices ensuring that you know you get the active pair and the standby pair and that all results in a interesting understanding of what's my workflow it makes you and i think this maybe this could be a bit of hindsight speaking here but you look at your workflow and that's where you go okay i spend four or five hours validating my change i spend another however many days in peer review with friends and colleagues. Then I go and find a change window and implement that. And that, I think, stems from, you look at that, and it takes some time to do. I'm not going to put a time on this because it makes people angry because everyone's got their own pace and requirements. And that's juxtaposed with the VMware guys or the virtual infrastructure guys or the software guys doing things. I can spin up a new workload in XYZ or I can do this in a click of a button. And there was always that, I think, friction between the camps of network oh the vm guys can do this quickly the network guys are slow and that wasn't slow because they're bad people or they are bad skills it's just because the way that networking traditionally has been and i think the mindset around how people have worked is what has driven this let's start the process of learning to code how can i speed up my own workflow and how can i do more in a day how can i be better at what i do and this doesn't mean your job is being automated away this means take a specific task let's say query all my boxes for the ntp config and i go off and build a script and that can be with whatever it needs to be and go oh i want to look at gathering all the clock information the ntp information from one boxes instead of logging into 20 30 boxes and looking at the config i can run something that does it for me on my behalf and brings back that information and I think that mindset is what's starting to drive this learning how to code uh, personally is for, for these network people is that to do more with less and to be better at what you do, or more efficient, I should say. So that, that's interesting. There's a couple of a couple of interesting kind of things that I picked up out of that. One would be whether this change within the networking industry is coming from within the networking industry or whether this change is coming from outside forces affecting the network industry. 
And the other, which I'll just touch on really quickly, and this is something that I try to emphasize when I talk to customers or, or people at VMUGs or whatever the case may be, and that is that there is this process that networking professionals have to go through in order to ensure that whatever change they're making is going to have the intended outcome. This is a, a, a somewhat complex system, and you have to kind of approach it as a system, and that requires that you do some analysis and some careful planning and, and looking at what this change is going to do. And so, you know, like you, there's some very kind of soft skins around how long that takes, right? So we are thin skins, I guess would be the right term. Uh, so we don't want to, we don't want to offend anyone or anything, but you know, there's a reason that the networking and security teams have to take that time because they have to do their due diligence because if they don't and it goes down, then in, in the case of your, your, your experience with, with uh triple zero, then that, that was a big deal, right? <laughs> just, just, yeah, we were, we were a bit, uh, we, we knew it was serious, but we said, it's only a little deal. It's only people can't call triple zero, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's, oh, that's all. You're no big deal. So I, I try to remind people, like, look, there is, there is actually a reason why these things take time. Um, so trying to build some empathy among the other groups, because as you said, a lot of times we have this, oh, they can do it faster and networking people are slow. There's a reason behind that. You don't know. But going back to my first point, I'm just curious, do you think this change is coming within the networking industry or do you think this is the networking industry responding to outside changes? I think it'd be naive to say it's one or the other. I think there is elements of both. Either people who have been, people been there'll be people who are in the network team, I, I don't know everyone in the networking industry and you don't know everyone in the network industry nor do you know everyone in the, the automation side of the house. I think there'll be people, camps within each team, there'll be camps inside the network team who go, this makes sense, and that's based on their background or their skill sets. There'll be camps outside who get given a soundbite from a CIO or from a sales rep or from Cisco or from VMware or whoever, the vendor, why is that? I shouldn't use names. But whoever it is saying, you need to do more with less, you need to be faster, or this needs to be automated. And if you think about it and don't take it as a personal affront, but think about what those messages say is, I saw it as reflect on what you do and can you use some of these tools to make your life easier? And at the risk of sounding very, this is going to come up the right way. I am not, I'm not a lazy person, but I like to be efficient. So I like to do as least work as possible. I want to be more, I want to do more and more things, but the easiest way possible and take the least pass of resistance. And so if I know that I've got to touch 20 boxes and I've got to do that at the task numerous times, I'm going to spend a couple of hours trying to figure out how to do that once and then use that script from then on in. And I think that mentality is inside the industry, inside a person, as well as outside influences. And you can see that both ways the fence if you take the industry as the networking industry, as the virtualization industry and the developing industry. Everyone has outside forces talking to them as well as their inside forces as well. And that's the thing, it's, it's about taking those information you get from the inside your industry as well as the outside and sort of simmering it and thinking over and how does it apply to you because this is a personal journey that everyone takes not a product you buy per se it's a personal thing that's a very fair response i i, I can certainly see that this might be coming out of an amalgamation of forces and voices both internal and external to your particular industry that are causing you to do that and i do believe that the the, the focus on doing more with less which you've used a couple of times so far in the podcast is not necessarily unique to the networking industry. Perhaps the effect might be a little more pronounced in the networking industry, but I think that that same push is being felt 
for the vSphere admins, for the security admins, for the operating system admins, et cetera, et cetera. I think uh, just to add a little bit more to it, it's not driven by cost or anything fluffy like that. Like you could argue yes, everything's driven by cost, but if you look at it from yourself, I see it as how can I, how can I as the individual contributor or a team member go in and, and make a big impact? And I don't mean by making an outage. I mean by actually transforming either workflows or operations, right? And that's where I think the, the do more with less for me resonates as an individual contributor or as part of a team, is that how can I do a lot as opposed to, you know, saving headcount, which is not what I do. No, that's that's totally fair. And I think that's a valid aspect of it. Um, I often approach it from the perspective of, you know, wanting to be more effective within your organization, not necessarily for cost savings, although that might be one aspect of it, but being more effective in your organization to help your organization be more successful so that you in turn are more successful along whatever sort of uh, metrics you consider to be you know, successful, whether that be how helpful you are to others or um, you know, how efficient you are, whatever, whatever that might be. Shifting gears just a little bit. So you mentioned earlier, you've kind of made that transition into somebody who's a little more you know, into and familiar with and having some skills around automation, especially network programming, network automation. So let, let's talk about that in a little more detail. I mean, was there anything in, in specific that really kind of pulled you in that direction? Or was it really for you more that personal journey of wanting to be a more efficient team member? Tell you what, if you've seen The Hobbit, you know that he, uh, Bilbo Baggins sat in his little Hobbit hole and all of a sudden the dwarves rocked up for dinner, right? And all 13 of them rocked up and it was a very much high, we're going to go to a mountain and kill a dragon, right? And that was very unexpected. That was a little bit how my story began. So throughout my time at Triple Zero, whilst there were never better ways to do things, I dabbled with little bits of Python. I looked at how to do some basic things, but never thought network automation is a thing. And given that the speed that my previous company worked at, it was okay to be somewhat manual. After a while of living in the world of automation and being in pre-sales, I think I paid personally a lot of lip service to, you can just poke it with an API. It's easy to wrap, uh, you know, automate this. It's got an API. And I sort of fell into that trap of, you can say it, but actually doing it's a different thing. And then it wasn't until 2015, and I was sitting down, we did a VMUG presentation on network automation and network virtualization with a few of my colleagues, one of them who's now my boss, Nick Bradford. And he said, oh, check out what I'm working on, check this out. And he'd had the developments of what is now known as PowerNSX, and it was the ability to, via a command line, or uh, to pretty much build, I think command line things what jumped out to me, given my history. Here, I can build a new logical switch for NSX. I can build a router. I can build a firewall rule very quickly. And I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. I haven't even logged into the UI yet. And yeah, that sort of went... I had a light bulb moment. Here's a very easy interactive CLI or scripting language that can be used to drive networking pieces. I'm like, I need to know more about this because this is pretty cool. And it's like a CLI, which I'm familiar with as a network person. I went, and this is one night, so we'll be my goal, like November. So we're sitting in a hotel because we traveled for this thing. And it's like, okay, this is built on PowerShell. How much do you know about PowerShell? And I said, oh, I don't. I don't. I use a Mac, so I don't use PowerShell too much. Okay, uh, spin up a VM and we'll have a play. He said, What's a, okay, this is a variable. And this is a, and I'm like, what's a variable? 
And this is, and there'll be some of your listeners laughing at this. And I don't know what a variable. Who is this guy? But I didn't know what a variable was. Didn't know what an array was. Didn't know. I knew what a string was, an integer. So I wasn't. I wasn't. All hope wasn't lost. But I sat down and went. Okay, and it gave me a bit of a crash course over a, a few beers. And I sat down and went. Oh, there's a whole world out there I know nothing about. And Nick sort of took me under his wing, and over the next couple of days, I sort of went from knowing nothing to knowing a little bit more, but still knowing nothing about PowerShell, and more so just generic uh, how PowerShell was an object-based tool. It had a very nice structure to it. It was actually quite logical, and PowerShell was an obvious choice because we have, as VMware, PowerCLI. PowerCLI has been used by admins since probably when I was in nappies, so it's (laughs) for a long time uh, about... Uh, how we can easily automate and manipulate and administer vSphere environments with PowerCLI. And then so it's like, yeah, well, now I can do the same thing with NSX. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty awesome. I can I can get all logical switches and I can see what VMs are attached to it very easily. And I'm like, I need to know more. Why does this work? How does this work? I know that NSX has a RESTful API, but how does PowerShell interact with this? And this is where I started to go, I'm going down a rabbit hole here and I'm not sad in one bit of being pulled down it. I was I had that that curiosity, the fascination of why does this work, how does it work? And I'm, and being me being me, I need to know why it works. So that's what's pulled me in the direction of starting to look at things differently. So that's started off what was it? Uh, yeah, two thousand and fifteen in November and uh, I got pretty pretty quickly. I was starting to manipulate my NSX environment, so my labs. Now I was building logical switches and routers and uh, firewalls and load balancers with Power NSX. And I'm like, this is really awesome. I need to start telling the world about this. And that's when I started to talk about it publicly. I threw Nick under the bus here and got him an internal presentation at Tech Summit, which is an internal VM world, for lack of a better world. And that's where our colleagues and we present to them and talked about the things we're doing. And that's where sort of Paranasex was born, per se. And uh, now it's become a, the unofficial official automation tool for NSX. But uh, that's started my journey and that's where I started to go, this is actually the way of doing things. And to think that I was doing things clicky-clicky, what takes me an hour to stand or two hours to stand up NSX from scratch, I can do it in 15 minutes. What takes an hour to stand up a three-tier application takes five, ten minutes with automation. These sort of things where I was going, this is tangible results. And whilst you know, you see the vendors talk about automation, you see talk about clouds, the rest of it, until you have that moment and penny drop yourself where you've done the work to automate it, you go, oh, wow, my hard work's paying off. And I think that's the moment everyone gets to before you have a waterfall moment. And then from there, you, I think your mindset changes on what's traditional and what's new. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like you've mainly been focused around PowerShell and, and PowerShell add-ons, if you will, with PowerCLI and PowerNSX. I, I, PowerShell is one of the things I, I tell folks, like, look, you know, if you're looking for a scripting language and you're a Windows-heavy shop, you know, look no farther, right? Here it is. Uh, Microsoft's invested millions into PowerShell and and PowerShell has become quite the the sort of standard for automation across a number of different areas, um, including you know VMware's own products and Microsoft's own products and a bunch of others. So you know, what, what were the most challenging parts of picking up PowerShell? And it sounds like you had 
kind of a, a nice little boost there with Nick and, you know, him kind of personally mentoring you, but what was the, you know, what were the things you struggled with as you, as you began to wade more into, you know, learning PowerShell and, and, and actually <laughs> doing real things with PowerShell? Uh, running Windows. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that's not the start of the religious war over Windows and Mac and the rest of it, but I'd been using uh, Mac for five, six years, right? And I got familiar with my tools, my environment, and that was a bit of a struggle first. But I'll cover off that in a second because that, that issue's gone, that barrier's gone now. But I think the initial things were tough were I felt like I had not learned anything. So I had my networking knowledge, right? And I still have my network knowledge. I still can, for better or worse, know how to build an ASA pretty quickly for what it needs to do. But I felt like I knew nothing. And there's a, I think as an emo, a personal emotional thing, and I'm maybe I'm alone here, I felt overwhelmed. I felt like I know nothing. I felt imposter syndrome was at an all-time high. How did I get a job at VMware working in this stage? I was in pre-sales, and I know nothing about this stuff. And I think that's a personal – I think everyone experiences it in their own ways. Was that getting over that, okay, Anthony, stop being overwhelmed. Take this as bite-sized chunks. Go read the manuals. So one thing about particularly about PowerShell is that most commands and commandlets have built-in help. I can do get help, commandlet name, and read what the commandlet does. What type of inputs does it do? Does it take string? What are its properties I can manipulate? And then I can do dash examples. And if the author of the commandlet has been a good person, they've populated it with three or four examples that show you how it can be used in real world. And sitting down and reading things, going back to sort of soup to nuts, you know, sitting down and saying, you know nothing, don't assume anything. And sitting down and reading manuals, reading documentation, the same way I approached Cisco firewalls back in the day, I knew nothing about them. And eventually I became pretty competent with them. So not putting, I suppose, compartmentalizing, being overwhelmed and knowing nothing was the first step. That's what helped me become a bit better at particularly my first language of PowerShell. And I sort of thought, okay, what do I want to do? Well, for me, going on looking online and building a calculator or doing simple maths equations in a language doesn't teach me what an array is or what a uh, different types of input or what a hash table is, and or in Python, that's a dictionary. But it, it, it was when I started to use real-world examples, I said to myself, okay, I want to automate the de deployment of a three-tier app. So VMware has a three-tier app they use in a lot of their POCs when I was in pre-sales. And the proof of concepts, and I thought I want to automate this to say I want to take a couple of inf uh, environment variables, such as the cluster name, the data store name, and I want to be able to essentially click a button and deploy this thing and never have to touch edges or logical routers or routing or OSPF. I just wanted to deploy, and that was my task that I sort of, sort of taught me how to do something. And I think that's what was the real driver is okay, this is how I'm going to make this, and this is my end outcome. Where do I start? And so thinking through the workflow, thinking through of what knowledge I had to build it. So and I'll fess up to this one. The first time I built this script, I had zero variables. <laughs> so everything was hard-coded. Everything was hard-coded, uh, properties and values, which you, I think everyone smirks at when they're going to listen to this. And that means my code was very static. As in if I didn't make a change for a different environment or change the name of a switch, it means I had to go through and you know go through my code pretty meticulously. But that's the starting point, right? I think there's not to be overwhelmed with what you're doing. It's just to give it a go and read the documentation. That's the starting point. And if you're happy to read documentation, 
you'll get places. Promise you. You know, I think that I think that the story that you share in terms of you know using statically coded values inside your script when you first get started or anything like that. I think that's something that you know you mentioned. You know, people are going to smirk at that, or you know, they're going to laugh or whatever. But I think that's where a lot of people are. And and I've I've had a, a few other guests on on the podcast who have talked about making this transition into more of a programming centric uh, mindset, if you will. And a lot of times they talk about having to learn to think programmatically. So having to be able to think about these are the steps that it takes to accomplish what it is I'm trying to accomplish, having that end goal in mind. And then, um, and then, and then working through those, but also in terms of coding, understanding that, look, it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a process. And so the code that you write early on will look one way and it will behave one way. But as you begin to gain an experience, you will begin to move to, you know, more use of variables and, more elegant methods of, of writing a particular code or, or performing a particular function or, or code reuse or anything of that nature. The trick is, as you mentioned, you're coming into this sort of, you know, I know nothing, right? So you can't hold yourself to that really, really high standard. You have to understand that that standard comes over time, right? Absolutely. And I'm lucky that, you know, I am very lucky with my mentor and boss, Nick, is that he a good mate of mine, and I tell you that he's a very picky, picky person when it comes to code, which is awesome because uh, I've learned a couple of things that has taken. For example, I submitted a piece of code for uh, we were, had to check the memory allocation on VCV hosts. So there's a PowerShell module called PowerShell SSH, which allowed you to SSH to boxes and then run commands on VCV boxes. So just pass CLI commands, which is really crude, but it allowed me to do this over dozens of boxes. And we had to check the memory allocation for a distributed firewall because at the time there was this customer, very large customer pushing the upper bounds of NSX, which is pretty uh, pretty big feat. And we, I wrote a code that would go off and check all the memory heaps, which is there, there was five of them. They didn't have names in, in this particular version, and a later version did. So my first run of the code was about 200 lines of code. And then my colleague Nick and all colleagues Nick and Dale said, but what about the heaps under the newer version that have names? I said, you've got to be a bit smarter about handling this because you then they're going to change. And I said, oh, they are. So I went back and refactored uh, a one, two, essentially one little part of the function, and that went from 40 lines down to 15 lines. So I thought, okay, uh, that's a better process because I've got to accommodate this. Then I looked at it and went, actually, if I think about this, if I, uh, it was me thinking about the workflow again, I'm essentially made the, long story short, the entire script came down to 22 lines of code <laughs> from initially 200 because I went initially with my first run was, okay, you, you've got to do this, do this outcome. And then I thought about the, the, the process more and different inputs and different road bumps or challenges along the way. I'm like, well, actually, I can accommodate this with using if statements or if else, if it's this version, do this, if else, do that. That was me maturing along my process to a point where the final tool in our tool repository is 22 lines plus, I think there's more lines of help than there is actually of code. And that has made it our life easy because I went off and polled hundreds of boxes and returned the results. But also it taught me that, you know, more isn't better. Yeah. <laughs> and the, uh, the art of code is really a thing. And you, that don't that put you off, but essentially you, you become more comfortable in time about what you're doing. And you, you become self-reflective and, that's, yeah, something that sort of having a good mentor does help, but also you do that as you learn things. And you make that point, I wasn't using variables, now I am. Beforehand, I wasn't using if statements, now I am. 
So you do have your own little journey along the way. Yeah, and I think that anybody who has been through this process can probably identify with what we're discussing here and and affirm that in the beginning, it's going to be crude. You're going to be doing a lot of you know, copy and paste, maybe even taking your code directly from Stack Overflow or whatever the case may be, right? But then as as you mature and as your skill and your knowledge with whatever programming language or programming tool that you're using becomes better and, and it, it deepens and matures, then you'll begin to find these better ways of leveraging the code, better ways of looping over a, a set of variables or whatever the case may be. Like there's a million different paradigms or ideas or we could mention in here. So I guess key takeaway for the listeners that, that I would say out of this exchange is that, you know, first of all, you, you need to you know, take that first step, right? Just, just jump in and do something. And, and when you do that, don't hold yourself to this golden standard of what your code needs to look like. Understand that the way, the style, all of that, how you code is going to grow as your knowledge and your maturity and your understanding of what you're trying to do also grows. Would you say that's a reasonable summary? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Good deal. So you know, out of curiosity, like, so, you know, there are others out there who are going to be going down this path and they are thinking, you know, Hey, um, I, I need to, you know, pick up a scripting language or something of that nature. You know, we'll use PowerShell here since that's what you're most familiar with. And I think that that could probably be valuable for a lot of the listeners on the podcast uh, for a variety of reasons. You know, we mentioned already sort of the power CLI suite of commands that kind of span a bunch of, of VMware's offerings, but also the fact that PowerShell is sort of a, a core component in everything that Microsoft does and Microsoft themselves moving towards smaller footprint instances of Windows with, you know, without a GUI and, and where everything has to be essentially, you know, command line, right? Aside from reading sort of reading manuals and trying to apply the scripting methodology or mentality to specific tasks, what sort of advice or tips or tricks could you offer folks who may be saying, okay, I'm going to jump into PowerShell because I think that's the right tool for me for you know, a variety of reasons, all the reasons we've discussed. Where do I start? What, what would you say to that person? There's a couple of things to say is have an open mind, first of all. Just because I use PowerShell doesn't mean that you have to. So uh, PowerShell is available on Mac and Linux and Docker now, which was I meant to mention earlier. Just because the tool is might have a preconceived stigma against it doesn't mean you can't go and learn it or use it. So I know there is generally a lie, a soft lie between those in the network land who prefer to use Python and those who prefer to use uh, in the VC land who like to use PowerShell. If you're starting out, look at the tar- look at what's out there. So for example. There is, I'll take the VCV side because I hate it, work for VMware. There is PowerShell, PowerCLI, there is PowerNSX, there is our PyVMOMI, which is a Python uh, library for the, the SOAP API. The, uh, these allow you different ways of interacting. But I suppose look at what you're trying to achieve and what you're working on and find the best tool for the job. So that might mean learning new things. And that's not a bad thing, but... Think, look at what's out there already. There's no point reinventing the wheel in your own language just because you only know one language. Open your mind and try learning it with, um, try achieving the outcome with PowerShell or with Ansible or with Python. That's that's the joys of having multiple tools. So don't lock yourself into one tool. Also, yeah, you mentioned some of, some of the resources you can use. The resources other than uh, reading the help manual and documentation, 
So everyone knows Stack Overflow, which is probably like the ultimate copy and paste site <laughs> for <laughs> code right. examples, uh, people who get very passionate about responding. Um, I found Stack Overflow, funnily enough, through Science Fiction Overflow, which is equivalent, uh, similar site where people answer questions on science fiction stuff. Um, Stack Overflow is the same for coding and IT and the rest of it. Um, there's some really good information about all languages there, people who happily spend the time to explain the benefits of code. So if you were, for example, a question might be, why do I want to use this type of for loop? Or actually, the good one the example is with PowerShell handling out null. So out null means I don't want to put any output back to the screen. I want to throw it away or discard it. There's many different ways to, to discard what the object returns and you can either store it in a variable or you can pipe it to null. And there are many people who discuss the varying ways to do this. And you get into sort of, yes, there are religious debates about my way is better than yours, but they actually give you good insight and it lets you sort of add to your, actually, I remember reading about this and I can use this way to be more efficient with my code. And for example, you can save a third of a second by using pipe to null as opposed to out null. And that third of a second of using it hundreds or thousands of times can save your application 30 to 40 seconds. So those sort of things you learn through talking with other people. Also, you, a lot of the listeners here may be to VMworld or to Cisco Live or that sort of thing. There are the equivalent of those things for Python. There's PyCon, there's PowerShell uh, conferences through Ignite and the rest of it. There's a lot of things out there that beyond just the internet. And the last one is people. So talking, getting to Slack channels like the Network to Code channel, and other things like that, having talking to like-minded individuals about their war stories and where to start is a great way of adding to your skill set. That's that's great information, Anthony. Thanks. I mean, I think that for the readers or listeners, sorry, too many years blogging, not enough years podcasting. For the listeners, um, you know, it, it's important to know that they've got a lot of different channels where they can potentially get some help. And and this really echoes some thoughts we've had previous guests share in terms of you know, choosing the right tool, you want to make sure that you're not getting locked into one particular tool, but looking at what, what fits best for what you're trying to do that, not just for the job at hand, but also for where you can get the most resources. We had a guest on and talked about how, you know, he learned, tried to learn Python. It didn't quite work out well because he had no Python resources within his organization. So he switched to Ansible. And since there were other people within his organization also using Ansible, that was a more fruitful effort and he was able to to build his skill in Ansible and accomplish the task that he was shooting to accomplish, right? So looking at where you can get those resources within your organization, outside of your organization, you know, internet-based resources, uh, obviously interacting with people is a big one. So we've had people mention conferences and events and local meetups and all that sort of user groups, all that kind of stuff as being great resources for folks who are trying to make that transition or trying to jump into a new a new particular piece. Now, one thing I am curious about is if somebody's going down a path like, you know, okay, reader is listening to the show and saying, okay, I've heard this said so many times, I'm going to do this. I'm going to learn a scripting language. And so they choose whatever. Let's, let's say they go with Python, right? That's fine. In your own experience, do you think that it helps or hinders to try to focus on building a reasonable level of knowledge in that one language before you move on to another? I, I would say... Yes, um, you're never going to be, you're never going to be, if you put yourself on a scale of one to 10, you're never going to get a 10 being the creator of the language. You're never going to be 10. So you, so I think you need to understand that if you understand the basics of a language and you understand how it works and you're pretty confident with it, 
I think it's a good idea to learn another multiple languages. Um, I'm working my way on Python and Ansible at the moment, and that's after a little while of using PowerShell. Um, I think also there is a lot of commonalities between languages, and there's a lot of differences. So for me, when I started to use Python initially, I'm like, well, I can't use like like PowerShell where I can do you know there's the, command line things. There's you have to import libraries to get functions, and then you reference what you've imported and that was very foreign to me so I got confused about using Python after using PowerShell so easily um, whereas people who use Python probably look at PowerShell and go that's different like how do I do the same when there actually is a lot of common ground whilst there is no cheat sheets per se it says what maps to what like for example in PowerShell a hash table is a dictionary in Python so there are common terminologies and common things that you will be able to translate across languages so I do recommend giving a language a choice, uh, a choice, choosing a language and giving it a go. Right. Okay. I think that's key. And then from when you're ready, open your mind. Don't don't. There's no one one tool or one language to rule them all. Right. Right. No, I I agree with that. I guess I was looking at it from the perspective, kind of what you described, and that is, you know, you're you're cruising along, you're you're getting familiar with the syntax for Python or PowerShell, whatever the case may be, right? And you're learning sort of the idioms of the language and you know, how you, if we stick with the Python example, you know, how you import modules, how you reference objects, how you call methods and, and functions, that sort of thing. And then, you know, suddenly switching over to PowerShell or Ruby or something else of that nature to do something else It, you know, I almost wonder, it's like, do you end up slowing yourself down? Or I guess in the long run, you know, it's kind of, it's better because you've expanded examples of concepts, you know, to your, to your point about a hash table and, and PowerShell being a dictionary and Python being something else in Ruby, for example. Given that I'm only on my second language now, I can't say if it's helping me or hindering me. I do reference back to, when PowerShell can do this, how do I do that in Python? Which may or may not hinder me. I'm not sure yet. I'm jury still out. Sure. I think what it does in time, if you then if you advance 18 months from here and a bit more comfortable with Python, I could say, well, I think building this tool in Python is better because of these reasons over PowerShell. Whereas I could, I have I have options. I have choice, and that's thing is the key, right? Is that choice gives you flexibility, and choice is what I suppose is your tool here, as opposed to if I think of it with just under the lens of only one language, you know, everything. If if I only got a hammer, everything's a nail. Yeah, sure. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, we definitely want as professionals to make sure that we are broadening our skill set and taking on new things, because I think that's where the industry. And um, our careers need us to go. So certainly we want to do that. I think, I think you kind of touched on for readers the, the right thing to do, and that is build upon what you already know, draw links back to what you already know. So if you know how to do something in language A, you can, you can learn how to do that in language B by making a comparison, a compare and contrast with language A. If it's done this way in Python, then it's done this way in PowerShell. Okay, I see the similarities, I see the differences, and that kind of it's sort of a well-established thing in learning that in order to really learn something, you have to provide a link back to something you already know. You have to provide a relationship. Maybe that's the benefit there of, of being a little more open to multiple languages even early on in the process. Yeah, definitely. And I think also to help, help you get the bigger understanding, go look at some of the projects on GitHub that, you, that you, either you look at, or we haven't even really mentioned GitHub or tools to use, but if you go to GitHub or GitLab and look at some of the projects out there that you might use or you want to build something, you can find that you might be able to contribute 
And that's a good way of actually uh, looking at someone else's code and looking at their examples and saying, oh, yeah, that's how they're doing it or they're, they're achieving that outcome is because that will show you their thought process, their thinking and how they've used the language to or harness the language to achieve an outcome. And that's, I think, was a big thing for me is to look at other people's PowerShell code initially. And I looked at the Power NSX module and I started to contributing back to the, the module by actually building commandlets. And that was the next step for me was that I could actually commit back and actually build things. And I, I took my skill set to another level by helping out with with those commits. So it's, it's definitely accurate that I think that as you grow in knowledge and experience with a particular skill, in this case, we're talking about programming languages and, and automation with PowerShell or Python or whatever the case may be, that the next natural step of that is giving back, is sharing that information. And this is something I talk to people a lot about, you know, kind of giving back, whether that be through you know, blogging about what you've learned and lessons and providing examples or whether it be providing your own set of examples through GitHub or whether it be contributing to an open source project or, or even an internal project within your own organization, whether it be, you know, lunch and learn sessions at your own company. All these are great examples to, to kind of share the knowledge and also cement your own understanding. I find that as I prepare to explain something to somebody else through a blog post or a video, whatever the case may be, that cements and solidifies my own understanding and often exposes areas where I don't understand it well enough. And therefore I'm not able to explain it simply enough. So I think your advice on, you know, as you go down this, this, this journey of finding ways to give back, I think that's great advice. That's very, very applicable for the listeners. So we're coming towards the end of our time together, which is unfortunate because I'm having a fabulous conversation, but as we close up, Anthony, I wanted to give you a second, just, you know, are there any sort of closing thoughts that you'd like to share with the listeners, any sort of as you get ready to step away from the podcast, you know, keep this in mind. Don't be afraid of what's out there. Give it a go. And this is once you have your moment of light bulb or waterfall moment where you go, oh, I can see, look what I've just done. That's when you'll get addicted. And I've gone from like not touching coding on thinking it's a dark art to doing it every day. And I love it. It's, um, I love the fact that uh, I'm not a full blown programmer. I still like my networking and do a lot of networking related stuff, but I'm automating my, my, my things. And that's, it's fun. It, it's, it, I'm smart, sitting here smiling here. I'm in my pajamas. It's not at nine in the morning and I'm sitting here smiling, talking about coding, which if you said three or four years ago, this is what you're going to be talking about. I would have, I would have pulled you up and gone, no, no, that, that's not me. <laughs> so it's amazing where this journey takes you and there is help out there everywhere. Don't be afraid to ask questions as well. Don't be off put by other people who've been doing it for 20 years they're more likely going to turn around and go, hey, I want to give you a leg up. So uh, so don't be afraid. Jump in. Do something for yourself with an outcome that's meaningful so you learn. I'm not just building calculators and simple uh, maths. And then ask questions. They're probably my biggest takeaways. Oh, those are, those are awesome, awesome takeaways. Very, very practical advice for listeners, which is a, a big part of what I try to accomplish with the podcast is give listeners, practical advice that they can take away. So thank you for that. Anthony, if somebody wants to follow you online, or as some like to say, stalk you online, you're active on Twitter and you have your own blog. You want to just share with listeners that information real quick? Yeah, sure. So I uh, am pandem underscore on Twitter. Uh, Networkinferno.net is the blog. And I also run the Power NSX Twitter handle as well. So 
That's me. Um, I'm probably best contacted on Twitter, though. That being said, I have gone days without Twitter now, which is normally I used to be on every day, and now I'm a bit slower on it. But I'm still there. I'm, I'm lurking more than anything. I'm just getting through some busy work at the moment. So uh, I am there. You'll find me around. All right. Awesome. Perfect. So thank you, Anthony, for being on the show. Listeners, um, if you want to follow what Anthony's doing in terms of Power NSX and others, then be sure and, and follow him on Twitter or subscribe to his RSS feed, which I know is not really a thing anymore, but it's still useful. For those of you wanting to follow the podcast, we are on Twitter at FSJ Podcast. And of course, you can hit us on the web as well. Fullstackjourney.com will take you to the list of the episodes and links to the episodes. Of course, the episodes are also available on iTunes. So by all means, subscribe to the podcast and we'd love to hear your feedback. And that's it for this episode. We'll see you again really soon. Thanks. Thanks.